This afternoon, I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Confession of the church. You can find Lord's Day 31 on page 546 in the Book of Praise. You'll notice at the end of Lord's Day 30, the, question, the answer 82, we can read that according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. And so the catechism continues, the church continues its explanation, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And the answer, the preaching of the holy gospel and church discipline. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to un opened to believers and closed to unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and closed by the preaching of the gospel? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testified to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is closed when it is proclaimed and testified to all unbelievers and hypocrites that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them as long as they do not repent. According to this testimony of the gospel, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by church discipline. According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrine or life are first repeatedly admonished in a brotherly manner. If they do not give up their errors or wickedness, they are reported to the church, that is, to the elders. If they do not heed also their admonitions, they are forbidden the use of the sacraments and they are excluded by the elders from the Christian congregation and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. They are again received as members of Christ and of the church when they promise and show real amendment. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you walked into churches this afternoon, you saw on the screen up front, Matthew 16, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It speaks of keys, and even the Children that are here today know what keys look like and how we can use them to open and close doors. The person who has a key has authority and she can decide, he or she can decide who may enter a building or a vehicle and who may not. In Matthew 16 verse 19, then the, G, the Lord Jesus said that the church that is built on Peter and on his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, they receive the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Not just keys to some building or keys to a vehicle, 
but they are called keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord Jesus even says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In another place, the Lord Jesus confirms this conclusion. It's in John 20, verse 23. He says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You see that according to the Lord's words, there is a direct connection between the church and heaven itself. In this picture, the keys are authoritative declarations of the truth. And these pronouncements either declare that you are in God's kingdom or you are not. And to understand this more and to understand what our Lord Jesus is saying in Matthew 16, we read together 2 Corinthians, where Paul, as a church planter, he's making declarations concerning the truth to open and close the kingdom of heaven, both in the preaching of the gospel and in the use of church discipline, excluding unrepentant people from the kingdom of heaven. And then we see that just as keys open and close doors, so preaching and discipline open and close the way to heaven. And what we really notice in the letter that Paul writes is that in this huge responsibility, we need to see how big of a responsibility that the Lord Jesus gave to the church, but in this huge responsibility of opening and closing the kingdom, a responsibility that takes over his mind and, and requires his complete love, Paul is limited by the truth, by God's truth. And so although it may look like leaders have freedom to open or close the kingdom as they personally see fit, the Holy Spirit reminds us that they are limited by the truth. And I preach you the gospel as we also could read that in, in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 8. The church cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And we will see three aspects of that. First, that we speak the truth in Christ, in the sight of God. And that comes from verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 19. And then in the second place, it involves living with Christ by the power of God. And you'll see that comes from chapter 13, verse four. And then restoring to Christ for the glory of God. And that comes from chapter 13, verse nine. When we think about who we are and what we believe, we recognize that the whole Christian faith is based on the revelation of God in scriptures and the understanding that God is at work in the world through those who believe in him. The apostle Paul spent many of his years fighting against the truth of the gospel that the Lord Jesus is the, the, the son of the living God. He even persecuted the church. But then when he was converted and called by Jesus Christ who called him straight out of heaven, he immediately recognized the truth of the gospel. And we see that Paul, led by the Holy Spirit who was calling or carrying him along, Paul dedicated his life to preaching the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. He preached and he taught the word of God. 
in Corinth. And if you want to find the background to Paul's visit to Corinth, you can open your Bible in Acts 18. In Acts 18, there it talks about Paul's time in Corinth. And if you look at verse 5, you can see that Paul testified to the Jews that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And then you can see in verse 8 that he was, uh, he was preaching and teaching uh, from house to house. He preached to the synagogue ruler and his whole household. And then in verse 11, you see that he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And so in the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he says that he showed the signs of a true apostle with patience, with signs, with mighty works. And he tells this to the Corinthians so that they realize that they have been blessed by the genuine preaching of the gospel of salvation. They have heard the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in the preaching, and Jesus Christ himself called them to this through the preaching. Publicly and from house to house, the apostles proclaimed that for the sake of Christ's merits, God has really forgiven the sins of all those who by true faith accept the promise of the gospel. And we confess today that the Lord sends messengers to preach the gospel when he wills and to whom he wills. And Paul was very aware of that as he says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19. He says there, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Since Paul could only speak in Christ Jesus, he could only speak for the truth. That was clear proof that what they were hearing was Christ himself opening heaven to them. They had the privilege of hearing the good shepherd sharing the good news, calling men to repentance. And so they were given access to heaven through the preaching. Paul tells the church that he is an instrument in God's hand to carry out the plan of salvation. And it was through the preaching of the gospel that the kingdom of heaven was opened. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 10. He says that no one can hear the gospel without someone preaching. No one can have faith unless they hear the word of Christ. That is why preaching is called a key to the kingdom of heaven. And knowing that God works in this way and believing in the power of the truth which we proclaim, the church wants to preach like a sower who throws seed all over the ground. Whoever hears the preaching of the gospel has enough to know that they must confess their sins and repent and trust in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. It is a way of, of opening the kingdom to many people. God sows the truth through those who speak in the sight of God in Christ Jesus. And when the truth comes, it's thrown out. It's, it confronts people where they are. There are only two reactions to this word. 
You believe the truth or you don't believe the truth. You believe something else. You believe a lie. We believe that based on this testimony, God will judge both in this life and in the life to come. That means based on your reaction to the preaching, God will judge now and forevermore. That makes us think about how we react to the preaching. Do we take it to heart so that it can have the desired effect of of building us up? That's why Paul was preaching. He said, for the upbuilding of the church. And the promise is that if we receive the word with joy, we will be able to enjoy the assurance of heavenly blessings that accompany us in our daily tasks. The apostle Paul wants it to be very clear that he is not preaching for personal gain. It's a a theme in these last chapters of the, the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. Paul wants the church to know that as a slave of the truth, he he speaks for the upbuilding of the church. He puts the truth out there. As a church, we sow it, inviting and calling people to repentance, to new life in Jesus Christ. The preaching opens the kingdom of heaven. It gives access to heaven. But when people do not repent, They will also, says Paul, they will not be spared on the day of judgment. You see that in our second point, that we are living with Christ by the power of God. That's in verse 4 of chapter 13. When Paul spoke about Christ's power, that's in verse 4, right? It says there, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And when he's speaking of the power of God, he's speaking in the context of unrepentant people in the church. If you flip back just one, one page to chapter 11, and you see what he says there at the beginning in, in verses two and three, he says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And now as he gets to the end of the letter, he writes about what he is he's afraid of. You can see that in the end of chapter 12, chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. He says, I, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you. I may find you not as I wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip. Verse 21, I fear that when I come again, I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented. He's afraid of what he will find in the church. He's afraid of seeing people who had the truth preached to them, accessible, who had the door open to heaven, who who resisted it, who hated the gospel. And then he says, if that's the case, I know what I have to do. And then we see how he starts off chapter 13. He says, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others. I warn them now while absent. We see the stages 
of dealing with unrepentant people. After establishing the charge, there are two or three witness, or there are warnings. And then finally, Paul says, a person must not be spared. That means he must not still be considered a member of the church. This is a very interesting to see because as we listen to Paul explaining the things to the Corinthian church, we can compare it to Matthew 18. And we see that Paul is taking exactly what the Lord Jesus teaches us, which we also confess in Lord's Day 31, the, the steps of discipline, and Paul applies it. He teaches us that he's not just saying this just to say it, but it has to be applied. It has to be something that is done in the church. And then we see the steps. There's first two or three witnesses. When we see someone sinning the church, we must approach them about that. We must establish the fact. It must be a recognized sin by the person who's sinning and by the person who is visiting. And then we notice as well that Paul is teaching us to be very patient. He didn't just say, there is a sin, get out of the church. No, we read he warned him. He warned several times. There was a, a time gap. There was, there was space and time for thinking and for repentance. But Paul says, if a person still persists in their sin, then they should not be spared. And this morning we read 1 Corinthians 5. There's a strong word. Paul says they should be handed over to Satan so that the person may repent. A person has to have a, an experience of what it means to be separate from God. They need that experience already now on this earth so that they have a hope, a chance of repenting and seeing how horrible it is to be separated from God Almighty and not to have the promise of union and fellowship with Christ Jesus. Hand it over to Satan. But then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that we are not to treat, we must treat them as an unbeliever. Now, how do we treat unbelievers? Well, we tell them about Jesus Christ. So when they are separate from Christ, if they are through the steps of discipline, they have not repented, then the church is called to treat them like an unbeliever, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, to call them back to communion with Christ. When we do that, it sounds pretty mechanical. The steps that are given, the Lord Jesus gives steps. We confess there's steps. We look at Paul, he follows these steps but we must understand also what Paul says of, of how it brings him to mourn. In chapter 12, verse 21, he says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier. It's not something that the church enjoys doing. It's not easy to admonish someone in their sins. It makes us as a church, very sad to see someone rejecting the full communion with Christ Jesus. It takes a lot of prayer. But then Paul connects it to the power of Christ Jesus. Chapter 13, verse 3, and chapter 13, verse 4, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we do not have a weak Christ Jesus. We do not have one who is still dying under the burden of sin on the cross. He's not a Christ who's, who's being defeated by the evil one. 
And in the church, that means that sin cannot dominate. Sin cannot have the the upper hand against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, Paul says that Christ is powerful among you. That means if Christ has really destroyed sin, if he has really conquered Satan, if he is the powerful and the eternal king among you, then we will see that in his church. We will actively reflect this truth also when we deal with unrepentant sinners in the church. If unbelievers and hypocrites refuse to submit to the gospel proclamation, they cannot be a part of Christ's church. Our eternal, victorious, powerful Christ has declared that. The church cannot act contrary to the truth, but only for the truth. You see that, brothers and sisters, when we have the truth, it comes with authority. And the Apostle Paul says it clearly that although we need to be weak in ourselves to share in Christ Jesus, when we believe in him and when we are part of his body, we are also able to live with him by the power of God. And as we read Paul's exhortation to the church in verses 5 to 7 of chapter 13, we can see that the most important thing for us is that Christ Jesus, the powerful King, is within us. And as we embrace Him in faith, we are called to examine ourselves, to see whether we are in the faith. When Paul says that we ought to test ourselves, he means that we should compare our lives to God's word, to the truth of God's word, to make sure that we recognize our our sins and our sinfulness, that we desire to do what is right and not what is wrong. So he urges us to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, to recognize that he dwells within us by the Holy Spirit, that he leads us in the truth with joy. And so we see that self-discipline and mutual discipline, discipline between us as members, they ensure that our lives are constantly under the light of the truth of the gospel. And although it can be a key that closes the kingdom of heaven for those who harden themselves in sin, loving Self-mutual church discipline can also be a key that opens the kingdom of heaven to those who repent from their sin. You see that in verse 9, Paul talks about restoring to Christ for the glory of God. The second letter to the Corinthians is a letter that repeatedly shows how much the apostle Paul loved the church of Jesus Christ in Corinth. We have here, brothers and sisters, a man who has given his life for the church of Jesus Christ. And although the church was full of weakness, had several members who were known to be living in public and shameful sins, like we read this morning in chapter 5 of the first letter, and there are other members who opposed the apostles of Jesus Christ, there were still believers in that place who loved Jesus Christ. The unrepentant sinners brought shame to the name of God. They created temptations. They gave opportunities for similar sins in the lives of other believers. They were themselves in danger 
of becoming prey to Satan's attacks. When sin is not dealt with in the church, there are lasting and very dangerous consequences. In the church, we say silence is deadly. Discipline is not something that is negative. It is the application of a punishment in order to glorify God's holiness. It's an application of punishment in order to save the other members of the congregation from committing the same sin. And it is to bring people back to the truth. Paul says it beautifully when he says in verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. And then again in verse 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The goal of discipline is to restore the sinner by bringing him to repentance, by bringing him to a renewed love and trust in Jesus Christ, the powerful and eternal King. There is no life outside of the truth that God has revealed in his word. Outside of this truth, there are only illusions. There is only confusion and lies. And so it is out of concern for the wandering sheep that a good shepherd will look for the wandering sheep. If we truly believe that there is no communion with God, when we persist in our errors, when we persist in our rebellion, even though we have been warned and admonished by our own consciences, by our, our family members, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the officers of the church, if we believe that, then we will pray urgently that the Holy Spirit will change the hearts of those who live in sin so that they will repent and they will be restored. Brothers and sisters, the church must do everything for the truth. It's more loving to preach the truth in Christ Jesus than to mislead people and to lie about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times in Scripture we read of those who did not preach the truth. They're called people who flatter in the Proverbs. We read of false prophets we read of preachers who, who tickle the ears and say what people want to hear. Those types of preachers and teachers can easily drug a Christian to sleep with the lie that their sins will be okay, and that they can live as good Christians without Christ, that they can do whatever they want. Such a preacher is very famous, like the super apostles that Paul talks about in, in the beginning of, this, of chapter 12, verse 11. He was competing with these super apostles who, who did not want to speak the truth in love. They were famous, they were well loved, but they did not lead to Jesus Christ. Paul warns against those who do not preach the truth with their words and by their example. Even if we hear things, that are difficult to hear because they make us feel uncomfortable or they call us to change. We need to understand, brothers and sisters, how important the truth is. Sometimes we spend so much time talking about different opinions, we forget that it's God's word 
the truth that we have to submit to. Do you recognize how much the brother or the sister who admonishes you really loves you? You recognize how hard it is to, to get up the courage to admonish a brother or a sister? Recognize how much they have to love what the Bible teaches and how much they have to love your very soul to speak to you about your sins. Paul mourned like a father who lost his child when someone persisted in rebellion. But he rejoiced like the angels rejoice in heaven over the sinner that repents. Mutual admonitions, church discipline, it's a beautiful testimony of compassionate love. And for this reason, brothers and sisters, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for the office bearers who spend a lot of time admonishing and encouraging and, and calling back those who are wandering away from the truth. We need to pray for those who receive these admonitions from the office bearers. We pray for each one of us that we may have courage to speak to our brothers and sisters in the Lord about our lives before the Lord. We pray that God will truly reveal those who are subjects of his kingdom and those who are not. Christ Jesus gives the keys he gave the keys to the church after his ascension. He gave the keys together with the word of God, together with the Holy Spirit. He granted authority to the leaders of the church to reflect the heavenly situation here on earth in the way that they spoke, in the way that they talked. Everyone who believes in Christ is forgiven has access to the heavenly glory. But whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ does not have this access. As we think about this truth, we, we pray, may God help our shepherds to use the keys according to the truth, speaking in Christ in the sight of God, living with Christ by the power of God, and restoring people to Christ for the glory of God. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 43, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. God's word is truth and a light to guide us to his altar where we find comfort in Jesus Christ. Psalm 43, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. We'll sing that standing if you're able to stand. Mm -hmm. 